Secrets to Real Estate Investing, Episode 58. Welcome to the Secrets to Real Estate Investing podcast by House Flip Masters, where you will learn powerful strategies from top experts in real estate investing, and you will find valuable information to take your investments to the next level. Now, here's your host and expert real estate investor, Holly McCann. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another exciting episode of Secrets to Real Estate Investing. We have a brilliant man with us today who I've admired and known for several years, and I'm really honored that he is taking time out of his way busy schedule to be with us today. This guy is really smart and educated. Not all real estate investors, I would say, have education. You certainly don't need it, but it makes it really interesting when someone who is educated jumps into this arena. So let me tell you a little bit about Matt Owen. He's the founder of OCG Properties, LLC, a company that specializes in equity and cash flowing real estate investments. He graduated from UC Santa Barbara with a bachelor's degree in economics with an emphasis in accounting, and he earned his CPA license also. So he's got that CPA background, and he has rolled that experience and knowledge into the world of real estate investing, raised a lot of money, bought and sold, renovated over 500 properties. This guy's got tremendous experience. So we're going to hear more from him. And with that, welcome to the show, Matt. Thanks, Holly. I appreciate it. I see you have your hard hat in the background. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep. It's sitting there on the desk. Well, give our um, listeners a little bit more insight to your kind of life story and how you ended up where you are and, and what you're doing. Tell us all about it. Well, no problem. And thank you very much for the intro. I appreciate it. Um, uh, I, I actually was working at different CPA firms, doing tax and audit, mostly for larger real estate clients and uh, wanting to bang my head against the computer going, I can't do tax and audit for the rest of my life. This is crazy. So I took some real estate courses and I paid about 16 grand for these courses and thought that I knew everything about real estate all of a sudden and quit my job in 2006 when I got my first deal under contract. So I was going to make 30 grand on a flip, which I ended up making like 15 on it, which was great. But, you know, I'm looking at it going, hey, I three of those a year, four of those a year, and I'm at my salary, I'm good to go. And then uh, realized very quickly that there's timing to real estate markets. So uh, I was a real estate genius for about a year because you couldn't do any wrong in 2006. And then in 2007, I you know, took a big punch in the teeth as hard as you can. So, and uh, I, I feel like getting up after that knockdown was probably the best thing that could have ever happened to me and learning the lessons that I learned during that uh, down cycle were probably um, jumped me ahead you know five ten years easy in understanding real estate cycles and what to do and what not to do what to focus on how to raise private capital that that one moment alone taught me that I had to raise private capital because there was no banks out there at all lending money and so mm -hmm. Um, that's when I really started scrounging and developing relationships and going to a ton of networking events. I was going to four a week, every single week, and uh, just 
probably meeting two, three, four new investors that I could do business with at any one time. And I really feel that networking and that relationship building that I had to do uh, was what compounded my growth experience much further ahead because as you know, Holly, this relate this business is all relationships and being able to uh, work with different people that have different skill sets and whether it's a contractor or a CPA or an attorney or um, someone with private capital or you know someone that uh, ha- already has properties. I mean, there's a million different team members that are extremely important to have strong team members in each one of those categories, and so. I actually went through and uh, started investing full-time immediately, which I threw myself to the wolves uh, and didn't look back. I kept looking back at my CPA license every time I took a uh, took a financial hit along the way um, but at the same time that was realizing now that was just doubting myself and realizing that if you push forward and never stop and don't look back and don't have anything to fall back on that's really where you become extremely successful is is pushing forward in those types of instances and not giving yourself something to fall back on because then you can't quit then you have to keep going you know I'm sure you took hits I have taken hits if you haven't taken a hit in real estate in one way shape or form then either you're lying or you're not experienced enough at some point right so lost money in one way shape or form and so it's kind of funny I'd say losing money was what compounded my growth exponentially forward so um, and so now uh, what I do is we flipped actually it's probably now over 600 houses instead of five and um, we we're doing about 10 houses a month right now where this month we're actually selling 47 houses which is unbelievable I can't even get my head around it um, it's pretty cool but it's also nerve-wracking because that's a lot of closings and uh, we, we just you know the transaction coordinators are, are slammed right now so um, but and you know when now we go through and we primarily invest in Memphis Tennessee and Atlanta Georgia but for the most part in Memphis I live in Southern California and uh, invest where it makes sense not necessarily where um, you know I live now I, I don't flip here in California I flip out of state I like the safety of that because if the market tanks I'm actually in a very good position because my debt payments are covered by my rental income in that market. So, um, and I'm not bleeding, which, you know, I, in this, in California, you have to have better margins on those flips in order to want to do those deals given the downturn that could occur. Right. So, um, but at the same time, uh, so I'm doing I'm doing about five to ten of those a month on average right now around ten, and then uh, we uh, we also buy a lot of value add multifamilies. We invest in promissory notes. We do seller financing to international clients in Japan and China, as well as uh, uh, to self directed retirement accounts. Uh, we also invest in outside syndications, uh, self storage, mobile home parks, other multifamilies. Uh, but I put smaller amounts of money aside and pass in those other opportunities uh, to make money because there's only so much activity you can actually do and take on yourself unless you can just hire and hire and hire and get more and more overhead which is always scary of course so um, but that's kind of uh, me in a nutshell my, my brother is, is my partner he's my property acquisition manager a really really smart guy I'll never tell him this in person of course <laughs> and then uh, uh, and then I have uh, my brother-in-law that works for me. He's a finance major as well. Everybody that works for me is either finance or an accounting major. It's pretty interesting. So, and then I have teams on the ground in Memphis that are uh, uh, 
uh, that are basically working for me full time on the management. We own a management company, a real estate brokerage, and a, uh, a, a uh, renovation company on the ground there. So it makes it a little easier when you have proper team members in place that know what they're doing and you just get the quality control documents to review. So it helps yeah. a lot. Yeah. And um, do you like not being in the same areas where it is because then you're not tempted to be as hands-on? Is that helpful or, or do you wish you were there more? Actually, it's extremely helpful because <laughs> I can't be there at the houses. So it has forced me to put the system in place to be able to go through and uh, have proper quality control structures in place. And this is, I learned that over time from losing money out of not having proper quality control in place. And so now every single house we get, we get a room by room, item by item, materials and labor and tax all broken down in detail for our rehab bids. We get side by side pictures of every item in this inspection report being done. We get a disclosure checklist as to the age of all the systems in the property. I mean, it's pretty interesting when you're going, okay, I, ha I can't be there. I have to find a way to make sure that these things are done correctly. And I honestly have some great team members that are just absolutely phenomenal that help with this stuff that work for me on this and, and do a great job, uh, you know, organizing and keeping everything straight. So, and cutting those costs down, of course. <laughs> I love it, man. Now I'm wishing I was focusing the show on that because that's really good stuff. But today I really want to focus our attention on entities. Okay. I know you're really smart about that. I'm going to have to have you back for a whole other show on that other stuff because that's awesome. So many of our listeners are you know, new and starting out. They're not to the point where they've done 600 properties like you and they're not quite in need of the team building. They're at square one. I was just talking to a new investor, two new investors in the last couple weeks and one lady had set up an entity and she's all excited because she she bought a course online, you know, how to be whole, a wholesaler, spent five grand, and they told her, okay, set up your LLC. And she did it. And setting up an LLC in California is, I mean, it's, it's one of the more expensive states. And then maintaining it year to year is expensive, in my opinion, compared to other states. And then another lady who's lost um, a lot of her worth and value and lost properties. And she's all concerned, I got to get my LLC. And I think these education companies are out telling people you have to have an LLC or, or, or a C corporation or something. Mm -hmm. And I can't wait to hear your opinion on it because I have my own opinion. But what, when does someone need an entity? Do they need it right away? And, and why do you need an entity? So let's go down that path. Okay. So, I mean... <laughs> I sit down with clients like this all the time and I go over their financial situation, go over their structuring components and try to show them what, you know, what the pros and cons of having an entity or not having an entity are. And unfortunately you're right. There's a ton of false information out there. A lot of these education companies push LLCs because they have attorneys where they get, you know, even kickbacks or, you know, marketing fees and things like that. I mean, these attorneys want to set up the LLC. They want to get paid for the operating agreement for them to write it for you, which is a whole nother thing. You don't necessarily even need an operating, someone to write an operating agreement. If it's just you, um, when there's a partner involved, then maybe you need that. Absolutely. Uh, when, uh, when you're dealing with, you know, having an attorney come in, but it really comes down to a number of factors. And, and first, first and foremost, 
you have the tax implications and then you have the legal implications. Okay, so when, and it depends on the type of income you're making, of course, and, and how much net worth you actually have to protect in the first place from the legal side. So on the tax side of things, you have a couple of concerns. One, you have passive investments like, uh, like rental income or interest income and things like that, right, that are not subject to payroll taxes. So um, most of the time, whether it's in an entity or in your own name, those types of investments don't come with payroll taxes. And so um, you don't necessarily, they don't do a whole lot for you for tax purposes when you're dealing with that. So it's prime, you're primarily setting it up for legal liability protection if you're investing in passive investments like that. Um, the, and so, so it becomes, um, a lot of people say go set up the entity, but if you have just, what if you just have interest income? There's not really a whole lot of liability from the legal side associated with interest income in itself. And so you may not need one and have to deal with all the cost of those things. If you're owning rental property, yes, there's some risk associated with owning a rental property. You have a tenant in place that, you know, someone could slip and fall and sue you and things like that. Now you have insurance to help cover that, of course. And so, you know, uh, it comes down to how much are you trying to protect and how much does it cost to protect those and what are the different methods to protect yourself when you own rental property. And so, you know, when on the income tax side, it's all a flow through to your personal return. There's no payroll taxes. And so you're getting taxed the same, whether it's an entity in, in an entity or out of an entity. Um, on the legal liability side, you have insurance in place as well. And you have the option of getting traditional insurance with an umbrella policy or just traditional insurance as is our insurance policy has a $2 million general liability policy with 12 months loss of rents with um, full builder grade uh, or builder code upgrades, meaning uh, they will actually, uh, and they'll do a replacement cost policy, meaning they will, if there's a fire, they will rebuild the house for you uh, and completely up to current building code, not the code when you bought the property, and and they won't do what's called depreciated value, which a lot of insurance companies say, hey, there's a fire, you bought this building for $100,000 10 years ago, that, therefore it's only worth 80 now, we're only going to pay you 80, even if it costs you 150000 to rebuild. So, and I want to have a full rebuild because I want to make sure I'm put in the exact place I was previously, and I want the loss of rents coverage to make sure that I get my rents each time so I can pay my mortgage on it or my debt payments on it and I'm protected there and so big difference in different types of insurance policies and when you're talking about the risk it comes a lot uh, it comes down to what the exclusions are in those policies insurance companies are notorious for excluding things they've had to pay for in the past like dog bites and domestic violence if you can believe it and um, a ton of the other little exclusions they throw in there and uh, you know the, the dog bites coverage is something we get covered same thing with domestic violence because um, those are the things like I said that they they've had to have claims for and my insurance agent is one of my largest investors and so he's making sure that I'm taking care of he has a specialty product for us we have black 
blanket policies across all of our properties. And so you can just go the insurance route if, if you want to. The, um, the other route is putting your property into an LLC. So let's talk about some of the cost differences there, which is what you were talking about, which I think is important to understand. So you can have, either way, you're gonna have traditional insurance in place. Whether it's in an LLC or out of an LLC, you're gonna put it in place because you know an attorney, first thing, when you put it into an entity and you get sued, they're gonna find any way they can to show that you pierce that corporate veil and go after you personally. So you always want to have insurance in place no matter what as well. Okay, so. Okay, right, let me stop you there. What does pierce the corporate veil mean? Okay, so normally when you own, uh, when you have an entity in place, you have to have separate bank accounts from you personally. You can't commingle transactions. You have to keep your corporate minutes up to date. You have to have your annual, your you know, annual uh, information reports done. Your taxes done. Wait, what? Why do you have to do all that? You buy an entity and you're done, right? Right. Well, that's what these courses tell you, and then they don't tell you that hey, it's eight hundred dollars a year here in California, and some other states it's you know a couple hundred dollars too. And then on top of that, you have to do a tax return. You have to do bookkeeping, which you should be doing the bookkeeping in your own name as well, of course, but it's a little less intrusive when you have it in your own name. It could be an Excel sheet versus, you know, a QuickBooks file or something like that. Um, you, you have uh, state filing fees that might be a couple hundred dollars a year just for information reports. Uh, so there's a lot of differences there. And if, if you have an entity in a different state, it's formed in a different state for a different property. If you live here in California, California says, I want my 800 bucks. I don't care. I don't care if it's in another state. You're managing it from here. So don't fall for the, the false, I'll say the false flag attacks here when they try to say that, um, you know, you, you can get a Nevada LLC and not have to pay state income taxes in California if you live here. California stance, like I said, is if you live here, you're managing it from here, they want their 800 bucks. And so, they'll find you. They find ways of finding you. You don't think, absolutely. oh, they'll only find me if I let them know. No. I mean, you probably know stories of people that have had to to pay up or, or prove up that they weren't. Um, right. And, yeah. and that's, that's key because California doesn't care. They're going to say, they're going to err on the side of you owe us the money and then say, prove to us that you don't. And that, and it's really hard to prove that you don't owe them the money if you're living here. So um, you can't be managing that entity at all. So, which is, going to be difficult. There's actually case law on it and things like that. So, um, so you're, you're weighing all these costs of the LLC versus, you know, your, your umbrella policy in addition, if you, if you had it in your own name or something along those lines. And so that umbrella policy may be a couple hundred dollars a year, especially if you have a $2 million general liability limit on your current insurance policy that's in place on the property. And so, so when you're looking at those differences and saying, okay, is it worth the extra money to pay for the LLC for that one more layer of protection. And you can put the property in LLC, get a normal insurance policy and an umbrella policy, and now you have complete coverage, you're in a great position, but do you need that? Is that even necessary? It depends on how much how much you're worth. You know, if you're worth over $2 million and that's your general liability uh, limit there, then I would say, Maybe you should get an LLC. Maybe you're trying. You're trying. You're protecting something that you have right now. But if you're just starting out, you have hardly any assets. You don't have anything for them to go after necessarily. Then it may not be worth your time. They can still go after you for garnishing wages if you're being proved negligence and things like that. Um, but uh, if you're at fault, 
But at the same time, that's a lot less risk than losing your entire net worth that you've built over a long period of time, which is really hours of your life. So, um, and so you want to look at those pros and cons there. Now, when you're dealing with flipping houses, things are a little bit different. Um, and so if you're a full time, if you're just a passive flipper, those are considered capital gains and it could be long-term or short-term capital gains, but there's no payroll taxes associated with that. So a lot of times you can have it in an LLC and it'll flow through to you personally. Um, and, and then you have um, the same uh, taxes based on capital gains tax. In well, that case. I've never heard the term passive flipper. Isn't that an oxymoron? <laughs> so what would it look like if someone was truly a passive flipper? Does it mean like if the IRS was looking at them because they would probably rather go after somebody for it as active trader business income where they can get that self-employment tax and other things as opposed to capital gain income. So maybe you could tell us the difference. Like does that person maybe have another job or does that matter? So I would say that, first of all, a joint venture partner that just puts up the money may be a passive flipper, for example. However, you're right. There really isn't such a thing as a passive flipper if you're talking about, you know, the, what we do, right? Like myself, I do so much of it that it's primarily my income. And, um, and so, therefore, I'm de deemed a dealer in the IRS's eyes. So that means all my flips are not capital gains anymore. They're ordinary income to me, which then means that I am subject to payroll taxes on all my flips, okay? Because and I'm income tax. Right, and yeah, oh, and the income tax. Yeah. Exactly. And so I set it up in an S corporation because I want to stop some of my payroll taxes. So if I did all my flips in my own name, say I netted you know, a million dollars at the end of the year, I would have to pay 150,000 in just payroll taxes. That's 15% up right off the top if it was all in my own name or in an LLC type structure, which flows through to you personally as well because it's active ordinary income when you are a dealer, okay? So um, if you are not a dealer and you're only doing, you know, call it two to four flips a year, there's different rules. It depends on how much of that is your actual total income. Do you have an outside job? There's a lot of factors that kind of go into just determining if you're a dealer or not. And so if you're not a dealer, then it could be considered capital gains and not subject to payroll taxes. It kind of has the same uh, underlying tax implications as uh, uh, holding rental property, for example, right? Except it's just taxed at a little bit different rate. Okay, so, but if you're a dealer, you want to put it into an S corporation because um, once you're netting a little, maybe call it around $40,000 a year or more, because you can cut some of those payroll taxes. So if I netted a million dollars, and uh, I went through and paid myself a salary of you know $100,000, then I'm only paying payroll taxes, which is 15% of my $100,000. I'm not paying payroll taxes on the entire million dollars that I'm dealing with. And so there's what's called a salary dividend split. And so uh, that salary portion is what you have to pay your payroll taxes on. And that dividend portion is you don't have to pay payroll taxes on. It just flows through to your personal tax return as ordinary income, which you get taxed as federal and state, just like normal. Um, and so sometimes it's beneficial to be in a no income tax state if you can. California is not one of them, of course. <laughs> So, uh, and it's, it's really, you know, I, I've thought about getting a primary residence in different markets just because 
um, it makes more sense sometimes in those markets. There's different strategies to get around state income taxes. But on the on the entity side, when you're dealing with the salary dividend split, you know, it could save you a substantial amount of money in payroll taxes, which is the primary reason to put it into an S corporation in the first place. Uh, in addition to that, I would recommend an, an LLC or an S corporation. Um, if you're if you're doing a couple of flips in LLC, if you're doing lots of flips than an S corp, um, if you're flipping in the first place versus having it in your own name, because there's a lot more liability associated with flipping houses because you have construction risk and people could, could get hurt on that aspect of things. You know, you have people driving to and from your, your properties consistently. I mean, there's a lot of little things that add up that could really bite you afterwards that I think it's important to, to put it in. There's disclosure issues that, you know, if you fix a house and there's a problem with it afterwards and all of a sudden there's termites that ate away half the house and you didn't know about it or disclose it to your buyer, um, then, you know, you could have issues like that where you could get sued for it. And so there's a lot more liability issues and it's important to have insurance on your flips as well. So very good. And you said something a few minutes ago that I'd love for you to expand upon for people. This is a new concept too. Why did you say about $40,000 in income, which I think you meant if you're flipping a house or two and depending on where you're doing it and how expensive the houses are, you might only make 40, you only make 20,000 in a year and that might not warrant running out and setting up an S corp and doing a salary dividend split. Correct. Yeah, so so if you uh, if you're making ordinary income, which is being a dealer or running your own business, for example, in any any realm where real estate or not related, uh, you uh, can do it in. You have the option of doing it in your own name or the option of doing it in, in an S corporation, right? To get rid of that payroll tax. So if you make, say, you make ten thousand dollars for the year, your total and that's your net income after all your expenses you have your income minus all your expenses and your net is ten thousand and you have that in your own name you're going to be paying 15 percent of that in payroll taxes which might be you know fifth you know a thousand or fifteen hundred dollars a year or something like like that right Right. Um, on that on that amount now uh, it's a certain level it starts to make sense to counterbalance the cost of setting up the LLC in the first place so it might cost you a couple thousand or three thousand dollars a year for the LLC I mean sorry for the S corporation to be set up in the first place and you're looking at what that savings is if you had that ten thousand dollars in your S corporation they have what's called a required minimum salary where if you only made 10,000, then you're gonna to have to take the entire 10,000 as a salary and pay the same 1,500 bucks anyways in, in payroll taxes. And you have the cost of the entity too on top of that. So the reason I say 40,000 is when that starts to make sense with that salary dividend split, because say minimum wage is $20,000 a year on average or something along those lines, you can pay yourself $20,000. So you make $40,000 a year in your S corporation, 20,000 would be your required minimum salary. And then the other 20,000 would be not subject to payroll taxes. So really you just saved $3,000 in that case, which is 15% of your $20,000 dividend uh, by having an S corporation versus not. Okay. So it's just a math question of, of when it makes sense to open that entity based on how much activity you do. And unfortunately this happens so 
commonly with these attorneys and things like that to tell you, oh, set it up right away. You know, you're going to make all this money. Wait until you're going to make your first money first. Don't just go set up all these entities for no reason. It's going to kill you. I've had friends that wanted to start a business, didn't know how to market for that business, never made any money, and then they just had to end up paying LLC fees constantly until they closed it. And what, what was unfortunate is that they opened it in like November and then didn't do anything, had to pay the 800 bucks and you know the fees for the tax return. And then in January or February decided to, oh, let's close this entity. We don't need it. They had to pay the $800 for both years, you know, as well, and do the tax return for both years. So it can really be detrimental to new people that are starting off that aren't making that money yet. They should make the money first and then say, okay, what entity should I be putting this into? Unless they're in a really high risk, uh, you know, business or industry that comes with a lot of liability and things like that. So um, make sense? Yeah, a lot of liability and that they have assets. If you have nothing, you know, I meet people that are starting out, they don't own a home, very really on their car, you know, I mean, their, their car is financed and maybe they're renting. If you have no assets, you don't have to worry about someone suing you because a lawyer would look at you and be like, well, uh, they don't have any money to get. Maybe they have a job making 50 grand a year or 80 grand a year. That's going to be tough to garnish much of those wages. You don't have much risk. Right. So you've got to weigh the risk. So, and we should have said this at the beginning, but consult your CPA, consult your attorney. Um, don't take this as um, direct advice to you personally, but you know, this is Matt's many years of experience and, and knowledge that he's sharing, you know, what he knows from his experience, but it's not in any way directed to you specifically. So get advice, get help, ask questions, you know, because if you ask your attorney or CPA, well, should I really set something up? If, I, if I'm not making money, I heard maybe, you know, I should wait till I make money, they might go, well, okay, yeah, that makes sense. You know, it depends. Yeah, but if you're making 10 grand a year, or if, say, say you have 10 grand in your bank account, and you have a car loan, you don't own your own house, and you don't have a whole lot of other outside assets, and you go set up an entity that costs you $1,500 a year to operate, then or two grand a year, that might be 15 to 20% to protect $10,000. Yeah. Not, it doesn't make logical sense. It's really, you know, the, the risk is not that great that they're going to go take your last $10,000 to get this started. So, um, and, and most judges aren't going to go that route anyways in a, in a lawsuit or something happening. No. A lawyer probably won't even take a case because he's going to see who they can see. Like, there's nothing to get here. I'm not going to do it. You know, right. they, they don't want to waste their time. Worth their time. Right. 100%. Now, if they saw Matt Owen, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I know you've got your walls up. You're protected and, and you know. So, yeah, plan, plan well. Well, this has been really awesome. I so appreciate all your time. And we, we've got to wrap our show up here. But listeners... Matt has put together a really great um, list of questions for you to ask before setting up your separate legal entity. You can find this free download at hardhatholly.com forward slash 58. This is show number 58. So go there to our website, the podcast, go to show 58. You can get this free download um, straight from Matt's brilliant mind. So generous of him to give us this. And also, if you're listening to the podcast, you're on your phone, can't get to that website, um, just as a reminder, you can text to the number 38470. That's 38470. You just 
text the word hard hat, as in hard hat Holly, no spaces, hard hat to 38470, and you can get this download and our other downloads too. Got some great things on the website and those downloads to help you in your real estate investing pursuits. So Matt, if people want to get in touch with you or learn more about you, I mean, not only is it on the download, but if people that aren't getting that, how would they get in touch? And, you know, I don't know, maybe you want to tell them a little bit about what you're doing and what some opportunities to work with you might be. Yeah, we, we just basically, we flip houses, we hold houses, we provide turnkey properties for investors that want to uh, invest in those types of assets. Uh, and we own the management company, so we, we hold them long-term as well and help, help our investors hold them long-term. And we work with different investors in different ways, depending on what their resources are and, and what they're trying to accomplish. So uh, I usually sit down with the clients and see uh, what ways we can help them and see what opportunities exist. And you never know what's going to come up. There's different strategies. And that's what I love about networking is that you find ways of working together and based on different people's skill sets and resources. So um, our, if they want to get in touch with me, our website is ocgproperties.com uh, or you can email me at mpo at ocgproperties.com. So those are the two places you can find us. Fantastic. And why don't you give us some of the best advice since you started out new many years ago? What's some of the best advice for a new investor that's getting started? Become an expert at renovating properties and understanding the costs associated with it. I don't care if you have to tail someone else and help them for free. Know how to detail out a rehab and how much things cost and how much the labor should cost and understand and detail out how to value a property on the open market, follow an appraiser around, pay them to teach you if you need to, show, have them show you exactly how to analyze a deal for bank financing purposes to be able to know what's gonna be financeable and what it'll sell for on the open market quickly. So those two things are the two hardest things to really understand and it's more of an art than a science a lot of times and you know always put rehab buffers in place on your rehabs and you know analyze analyze as many deals as you possibly can i don't care if you're getting drip campaigns from realtors analyze every single one of them even if they all are horrible deals just become good at that go to the property walk through it you should be able to walk through a property and say this house is going to be 35 or 50,000 or 60,000 in rehab and go room by room and understand what needs to be replaced and how much things cost. That's really the, the best advice I think I can give. Oh, awesome. Well said. Thank you so much. Well, with that, thank you so much for your time, Matt and listeners go get his great free download and we're going to have to have you back and do a whole show about how you blew this up into a big team and took this to a way bigger level than doing one flip at a time. So thank you, Matt and listeners get out there and have some great success investing in real estate. If you found value in today's episode, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review our show. You can find our show notes at our website, houseflipmasters.com on the podcast page. Also, to get our top tips for finding deals without spending lots of money, go to houseflipmasters.com for your free download today.